Well, last week we explored some uncertainties of life and the anxiety we feel. And as we usher in a new year, most of us are anxious about the future on every level for good reason. The things we hear from the media about the political, economic, and ecological conditions that exist in our world frighten us. On the home front, we worry about educating our children, the rising cost of health care in our golden years. We would be foolish not to be concerned about the future and to plan for it as best we can. But there is one very important area in which there is no need to be anxious, our salvation. John has made it very clear that we can be assured of our standing before God. He has taught us how to deal with our sins and how to deal with the doubts that Satan puts into our heads about our relationship to God. This morning, he's going to take that assurance even further. Not only can we have assurance, we can actually have confidence before God. We can come before him confident that he will receive us and that he will listen to us. You know, he gave us the right to come before him when we were adopted into his family and like the child of someone great before whom most are hesitant to come, we can come before our Heavenly Father at any time. We can even have confidence that he will do for us what we ask, that he will grant our requests. Sadly, however, that's a confidence that many Christians seem to lack. They're confused and hurt when their prayers aren't answered. Well, this morning, we'll find out why and what to do about it as we continue John's teaching on assurance and go on to confidence, something we all need as we enter in to the, at least from our perspective, uncharted course of a new year. He begins by telling us that we can have confidence before God if our heart doesn't condemn us. We're in the third chapter of 1 John. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him. If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God. But as we noted last week, our heart does at one time or another condemn us. Sometimes we feel cut off from God, if not actually condemned, at least invisible. We even begin to wonder if we're seen by anyone or measure up to anyone's expectations. We know we haven't been living up to our own and are pretty sure we haven't been meeting the expectations of others, especially those in church. We know we're not as involved as we should be, and even find ourselves putting other things above worship and meeting together around the Lord's table. We begin to wonder if our faith is even for real. You know, on and on we go, doubting, 
questioning, wondering. We lose our sense of assurance. But as we noted in verses 19 and 20, it can be regained. We can silence a condemning heart by doing something that confirms Christ is still in our heart. We can do something beyond our power, something supernatural. We can actually love those who are hurting us, even those who would condemn us. Indeed, a condemning heart is silenced by an act of loving in deed and truth, even if we don't feel like doing it. But when we do that, we lose our sense of condemnation. We're reminded that Christ is still in our heart and that we still have the right to come before God. And then once we have the assurance of our standing before God, we can go on to confidence, confidence that God will do for us as requested. That confidence, however, is conditional. We're not given a blank check. God never promised to become our genie in a bottle who will grant all our wishes. But if we meet his conditions, we can come before him with confidence that he'll hear and answer our prayers. The first condition, however, might sound Impossible to meet, but it isn't. Let's read on. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. John makes it clear that our receiving is conditioned by obedience, by keeping God's commandments. But then he softens what might seem to be a condition that's impossible to meet by adding, doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, we've already determined that we can be pleasing in God's sight without perfect obedience. If that were not the case, he wouldn't have made forgiveness possible. Through his grace and the sacrifice of his son, he has made it possible for us to be pleasing in his sight. And if we are pleasing in his sight, John tells us he'll give us what we ask for. That is not, however, a Santa Claus promise. He's not promising us or promising to give us what we want if we're good little boys and girls. No, answered prayer is not conditioned by our being good, but it is conditioned by asking in a way that is good, a way that pleases God, by asking with the right motives. James tells us, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. If we're using prayer to get what we want, what gives us pleasure, we'll be disappointed. 
It is true that Jesus said, ask and you'll receive, but he wasn't promising to give us everything we want. Effectual prayer is not focused on what we want, but on what God wants. It's not seeking that which will bring us pleasure, but what will bring pleasure to God. In 1 John 5, 14, we'll read these words. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We don't pray for our will to be done, but for his to be done. And praying for God's will to be done is pleasing in his sight. And and we do want to please him. We want to obey him because we love him. And as is true in any truly relationship, loving relationship, we want what he wants. So we pray for the things that we know are in keeping with his will. But some might ask, what's the point? What's the point? If prayer only gets what God already wants, why bother praying? You know, God is God. He can do whatever he wants, whether we pray for it or not. And he can. But he doesn't. God seldom, if ever, just does what he wants. He never imposes his will on anyone, even on judgment day. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Without repentance and the promised forgiveness, separation, our separation from God, is the only recourse. Now, God's will is good, and he has revealed it to us. But he has given us free will, the freedom to obey or not. He doesn't force us to do anything. But there are consequences to disobedience. One, obviously, is separation from him. And another is unanswered prayer. If we don't live in obedience, doing the things that are pleasing in his sight, our prayers cannot be answered because they are not in keeping with his will. God's will is going to be done ultimately. And our life has meaning, eternal meaning, when we play a role in getting God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. He's given us that privilege through prayer. Because prayer that is pleasing in his sight enables us to become willing participants in the working out of God's will. Now, that's an amazing point. God doesn't just do something. He's invited us to become involved in what he's doing. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll find there are even times when God changes his mind because we've asked him to. Now, that's a little bit scary. But he wants our involvement. And his hands are tied because he's tied them himself when we don't pray. 
That's pretty amazing. But he will give us what we want if we obey him, if our life is in keeping with his will, if we bring pleasure to him, and if we believe in his son. John continues, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. In John 14, 14, Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that does not mean if we say, in Jesus' name, we'll get what we pray for. His name is not a magical incantation that guarantees our wishes will be granted. Besides, believing in the name of God's Son is more than believing Jesus is his name. It's believing in him and who he is. And it's not necessary to end a prayer in Jesus' name, to be praying in his name. That's why there's no need to make a big deal out of being asked not to pray in Jesus' name at a public affair. Some get really offended by that, and they make a, a big demonstration about, oh, no, I can't pray then. You know, leaving off in Jesus' name doesn't prevent us from praying in his name. To pray in his name is to pray with understanding of who Jesus is. And that he's the one who makes our prayers acceptable to God. And is praying with a desire for his will to be done. When Jesus said he would do anything we ask in his name, he was saying that if we really know him and his will has become our will, we can have confidence in prayer. God will listen to those who are in agreement with his son. That doesn't mean praying in Jesus' name is pulling strings, that it's name-dropping, that it's going through number two to get to number one. Prayer in Jesus' name is simply making sure we've come into a right relationship with the Father, and it's being in a right relationship with His Son that puts us in a right relationship with the Father. There's one other thing that we should probably note here. When Christ becomes our Savior, he opens the door to the throne room of God and gives us direct access to our Heavenly Father. We don't pray through Jesus or Mary or a saint. We come directly before a Father who loves us and wants us to seek after the things that are pleasing in his sight and in the sight of others. John continues. But let's back up a bit. He's already said, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. He goes on then to add, love one another. Just as he commanded us. We fulfill the law by loving. And we come into a right relationship with God and others through love. And if we truly love one another, we're not going to be offering selfish prayers. 
We're going to be thinking of others more than self. We're going to want God's will to be done in their life as much as we want it done in our own. But you know, when we stop to analyze our prayers for others, we may be surprised to discover that even those prayers are often selfish in nature. We want God to do for someone what we want done, what will give us pleasure, what will make us happy. We want grandma to live. We want daddy to get well. We want our children to come home. That may or may not be what God desires for them. If it's not, our prayer can end up conflicting with God's will for them, and we will end up being disappointed with the answer we get. But if we love one another in the way he has commanded, we'll love them enough to entrust them to a loving Heavenly Father, and we can therefore pray with confidence. Now, we have been given the freedom to express our will for them. We can ask God for anything. We can open up our heart and say, oh, I really want this, Father. That's not wrong. Jesus did that. He didn't want to go to the cross. And he told God as much. But then he said what? Not my will. Thine be done. And we too must ultimately yield to God's will. Because we want him to do what is best, what's good for our loved ones, whether we understand it or even agree with it or not. Our desire for those we love should always be God's will for them. And if that's our prayer, we can pray with confidence. Finally, we can have confidence when coming before God if we abide in the Spirit. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. If we are abiding in Christ and he is abiding in us, we can pray with confidence because our prayers will be in keeping with his will. If we are abiding in him, we'll know his will. And if he's abiding in us, his spirit will be directing our prayer. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts 
knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Our prayers will always be answered if they're Spirit-directed, if they flow from a heart that is in full surrender to the will of God and a heart that is under the Spirit's control. If our heart doesn't condemn us, and it won't, if we let Christ love through us in deed and truth, we have confidence before God. Assurance that we can come before him and confidence that he hears and answers our prayers. He's promised to do that if we keep his commandments. If we believe in Christ, if we love one another, and if we abide in the Spirit. Through God's grace and providence, we can enter 2024 with confidence. Confidence that is tied to one thing and one thing only, our confidence before God. And our confidence before God comes through full surrender to his will. Let's do that together. Let's stand.